Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Thank you. So we have a choice. We can see. Is the opening remarks over upstairs? Yes. They did end. Okay, we can begin then. Okay, first of all, as promised, for anyone who wants, there's a shot of Patron to wake you up. <laughs> who wants to have the first shot? Okay, you're up. It's Michael, right? That's right. Here you go. Rod's good. Who's up next? Come up, get yourself a shot. Panelists, yeah, here we go. Panelists, too. There you go. He wasn't kidding. I said, if you show up, you get a shot of Patron. The Patron is here. Thanks to Brian Ressler for running out and getting it just now. And thanks to Whitney for reminding me where the hell's the Patron. This is it, I'm telling you. Okay. Wait, we're going to do a toast. We'll do a toast. More people are coming up. Anybody else? Okay. For those of you arriving now, there are shots of Padron up here if anybody wants that to augment their reality. Who on the panel is in? I'm in. Okay. Come on. Here we go. All the way down. We're going to do a ceremonial shot. What? Oh, you... Okay, could get interesting. Our sound engineer wants a shot of tequila. The mix is going to get really good here in a moment. There you go. Coming down. Oh, we're all good. No, come on. You're all in now. Small shot. Come on. We're going to get it going here. There we go. Yeah, really. It was, it was cookies. It was cookies. <laughs> Okay. Anybody else want to join us for a shot here? Padron, who wants? Are you in for a shot? Here you go. Okay, bottle one is now empty. Who wants to kick off bottle number two? Anybody? All right. To a great panel. Who wants? Cheers. Here we go. You got it. Thanks, Brian. So let's talk about those fucking record companies. No, I'm sorry. Okay. Did you want a shot? Yes, I do. Oh, my God. Okay. Here we go. Bottle number two. For those of you who don't know, I had advertised everybody show up in the morning, and there'll be shots of tequila for you. And then Whitney Broussard was kind enough to say, where the hell's the tequila? And I went, damn. But we pulled it off. There you go. It is. And I promised Patron, and we delivered Patron. There was a moment of almost rot gut. Okay, so I was asked for those of you, how many of you have been to a panel before that I've moderated? And yet you come back. Okay, (laughs) always amazes me. So here are the ground rules. The ground rules are you're here instead of being in another room because you found this somewhat interesting. You've got some really smart people up here who are going to introduce themselves in a moment. You're going to ask them questions. You're not going to leave here going, they never talked about what I wanted to hear them talk about because you're going to raise your hand and go, You haven't talked about such and such. If you leave the room and we haven't addressed what you came here to learn about, it's because you didn't uh, attack us. Uh, It's a conversation. Nobody's doing any pitches. We're not holding till the end for questions. So if you have a question, there is a mic here. I'm going to give it to Brian. Either Brian. Doesn't matter. I have two Brians here. And uh, raise your hand. Grab the mic. They are recording this. 
for future. This will be in the Smithsonian someday. Maybe not. But it'll be somewhere. It'll be in a closet somewhere. So ask your question clearly and ideally identify who you are and where you're from so you can then have your parents listen in sometime and they can hear you were here. So let's kick it off. And everybody do a brief introduction of who you are, what you do, a brief history of how you got to what you do, and what's your favorite mobile app right now that you have nothing to do with. That didn't work for the Verizon woman who started talking about Fios after I said something you had nothing to do with. At Fios, we believe... Anyway, go. Yeah, yeah, great. Thanks. Well, the theme being um, mobile music, my name is Katie McMahon. And I hope to be able to add any value given um, a perspective having gone the long way around to Silicon Valley. So I started off in mobile in 2000 in Tokyo and was with the world's first NBNO, Japan Communications. I later launched a mobile data company in Japan, um, then made my way over to London and spent several years building up Shazam until um, a fledgling company out in the Bay Area called SoundHound was able to convince me that the next massive interaction with mobile will be um, inclusive of all sound, not just recorded music, but air out of our own lungs. And I think that's a very very interesting future for how um, mobile connected devices and yourself will interact. So that's me, and I look forward to how this conversation goes, and I love that you've encouraged the community here because SF Music Tech brings smart people and we don't need to tell you the same stuff that you already know. So let's And your favorite app other than Soundtown, which is one of my favorite apps. Thank you. Thank, thanks very much. Um, yes, I think uh, Argos is doing some really neat stuff in terms of its UI and its GUI. And then let's get towards the quantified self. I'm very slow to it, but I hope you've all just tacked in that you've done a shot uh, before half half nine in the morning. So, what's your risk? Um, yes. Yeah, so, I, I'm obviously very interested in what the wearable future looks like and feels like. And one tip to anybody trying to do it well: don't discount the wearable aspect. I mean, yes, feature richness amazing. But actually, so much of it comes down to the tactile, and, and I'm testing a bunch of different devices, and what decides, what, what helps me decide what I put on is how it feels, both at the beginning and at the end of the day. So industrial design and, and fluidity of the feel shouldn't be forgotten as we're consumed on the software side. Robert. Uh, yeah, my name is Robert Acker. I'm currently actually at a little stealth startup by when I originally signed up for the panel here, it was a different company, but uh, um, back, now back in the startup mode with uh, running a little startup that will be uh, launching a product in another six months and crazy enough, back in the CE space. But um, the company I was with, AHA, I sold to Harman and was there for a few years. And what we were doing was we built a back-end platform to allow automakers to more easily get web content into the vehicles, primarily music and, and news and other streaming information. So launched uh, worldwide, uh, 12 different automakers have all integrated it. And I, maybe the reason that I left and went to a, run another little startup is that I spent the last two years basically traveling the world, meeting with the head of telematics implementation at automakers all over the world. So I kind of know where they're going and kind of the mess that's coming and um, you know, at some point, at some point, it'll all work itself out. So it's, but it's there's a lot of stuff obviously happening in that space. A lot of not so good stuff. Um, um, but anyways, it's a, it's an interesting place to be. Before well, that, elaborate I, on that for a moment. Well, I mean, they're all. Where, they all what's have, some of the blockages? What's, I mean, some of the blockages is uh, some of us were talking ahead of time. 
I mean, an automaker is an assembler of parts made by other companies. And so why do you charge $90,000 for a luxury automobile? Because you build your own unique experience with an iDrive or whatever you put inside there. So they don't want to hand over control of that. But then you've got Apple and Google saying, I want control. Or you've got the app guys and the music guys saying, I want my experience in the vehicle. And the auto guys are saying, no, we're not doing that. So we all end up on our cell phones here doing this illegally and getting in crashes. And um, there's some different things happening in the industry. Apple and Google are trying to push their own initiatives. We'll hear a lot about those in June. My, my group is also doing a lot of those implementations for Harman. Um, and then, fr- fr- frankly, Bluetooth just, like, sucks. I mean, it kind of works, kind of doesn't work. But you've got to sit in the car, turn it on, and just have it work because nobody's going to want to be configuring their car stereo every day in order to set things up to run. So it will get there. We can talk more if there are questions about that later. And, uh, but it's a, it's a pretty ugly, messy world at the moment. Uh, before that, I ran, uh, spent a couple years running the Rhapsody Music business, now ancient history, I guess, is back when we were moving it onto devices. And then before then, was, uh, wrote the XM business plan and was the first uh, head of marketing. So I launched XM Radio as head of marketing and head of product development and did all the original UI integrations with the auto manufacturers. And I think that's, maybe I would argue that XM and AM and FM will have a long life <laughs> in the car until the automakers and all the content guys can all eventually figure out how to get on the same page. But it's going to be a while, and in the meantime, there's a, there's a runway these guys will continue to ride on um, because of that. So in short, you're kind of new to all this, is what you're saying. Yeah. yeah exactly. Okay. Follow that. Yeah. Oh, we didn't get to your favorite app, though. Uh, well, now that I'm back in the um, – it's, it's a geeky thing, but now that I'm back in a little startup and we're trying to figure out a user experience, it's this thing that I've just been using the last few days, prototyping on paper which just lets you take a bunch of pictures, string them together, and fake an app. And so, frankly, that's what I'm spending more of my time with now is we're just trying to like, do really quick prototyping to show to people to see what, you know, what our experience is going to be. Okay. Brian Ziska has joined us. You missed the thing. I promised Patron if everyone came to the panel this morning, this was my... So you're going to come up and do a shot with us? You have to. Come on, Brian. Oi. Not no. Come on, Ted. Here you go. To all of you! Yay! Thank you, Ted. Okay, back to our regularly scheduled program. And you're up. Sure. And as I say, make love to your microphone because he's recording it back there and he'll look really good if it sounds good. Great. So and it'll sound more important if you get really close. It sounds really... Is this close enough? That's close enough. Maybe too close. So I'm Jake. I work at a company called Fortumo. It's a mobile payments company specializing in emerging markets. So I like it because there's lots of young people, and I don't have to be the smartest guy in the universe, but there's a lot of them, and they're getting richer, so there's a lot of opportunity for everybody to make money. So I said, yeah, seems like a good spot to go. And uh, prior to working at Fortumo, I worked at Sony in uh, back in Sony as I, I rode the decline, not all the way to the bottom, but I, I got to ride a lot of it. It was a fun roller coaster, started off in uh, corporate development, uh, and then it moved over to the now deceased Vio group. Uh, very sad. Hope I all used to like your Vios. I still have one. Uh, I'll ride that one until it dies too. <laughs> but I really like Sony. It was a good spot to work. Um, but right now, being focused on emerging markets is fun. I have a graduate degree in emerging studies and Pacific studies. So seeing all of the young people and how they're becoming more technologically advanced and basically jumping from you know, having nothing into being digital natives and highly mobile digital natives, it's a lot of fun to get to go out there and talk about it every day and, and live it, even though you know, I grew up privileged in the Bay Area. 
these are talking about people that didn't have that same background, but they're getting a lot of the very cool digital experiences we're all inventing. So that's what gets me up every morning. Uh, favorite app uh, is Balloons. It is a video game. So admittedly, my company does a lot of business with video games, so I get to play them for work. <laughs> but <laughs> So it's a great game. Uh, so unless privileged, you have... pri- privileged childhood in the Bay Area, mm-hmm. and now you get play games for work. Yeah, that, doesn't that sound like a cool life? It's not bad. But uh, it's a great app uh, unless you have mild carpal tunnel, in which case it's a great app that makes you pay to play. So, Cool. Uh, I don't know if I can follow that. I wasn't privileged in the Bay Area um, growing up. But I'm Dean uh, Bolte. I'm with Omniphone. If you're not familiar with Omniphone, we are a um, back-end provider to a lot of these uh, music services out in the marketplace today. We're kind of... I like to say we're the uh, equal to Intel to computers as uh, uh, to music services. Um, how I got in this business it was a long and strange, windy road. Um, if you can believe it, I actually have a, a degree in industrial psychology. Uh, how I got in the music business, I really don't know. Uh, it was probably uh, a long night of Patron, frankly. Um, uh, so, uh, but I spent some time at Disney, I've been in the entertainment space, moved into online gaming, uh, and then fell into, uh, digital music. Uh, so that's how I got here. Um, let's see, what else? Uh, what Omniphone's currently powering? Uh, Music Unlimited, we have a partnership with, uh, Sirius XM as well for their MyXM product. Uh, we work with Gavera, who recently launched here in the U.S. and is expanding globally. Rara and a number of others that are in various stages of, of launch and um, potential launch. And your favorite current app? You know, this is um, this has been out there for a while, but uh, I absolutely it's a life changer. Which is Uber. I travel a lot, and it's like one of the greatest things ever. I don't know how I existed without it before. So I think it's really great watching it go from one x to two x to eight x on New Year's Eve. You know, three hundred dollars to go from here across the street. It's a great app. Uh, really now I, for those of you who may not know uh, 10 years roughly 10 years ago maybe 11 years ago Travis who is the founder of Uber was running Scour which was a pirate music service 10 years ago two guys out of Scandinavia were running this thing called Gazaa they went on to sell Skype for 8 billion dollars and another guy who I think is from the Bay Area Sam Yagen was running eDonkey 10 years ago. He's now the global CEO of Match.com. So start a pirate music service today, and 10 years from now, you'll be in really good shape. <laughs> yes? <laughs> you, you buffed that one, Jerem. Okay, so... Did I? Oh, it's, it's kind of fun to watch these guys. Um, they're having fun. So I'm the senior member of the panel here. Uh, I got yanked to go to CES in Chicago in 1977 and bumped into these two homeless-looking guys who were walking around with something called an Apple One in a zipper case going, uh, this is the personal computer. It might change the world, and uh, I think they did okay. Um, In 82, we started a digital music group at Warner Records looking at the possibilities and the eventualities of a lot of what we'll talk about today. And currently, I run a uh, disrupt, somewhat disruptive consulting organization called Tag Strategic, and we try and work with disruptive uh, applications to ease them into the infrastructure of music and film and television and try and help companies that don't realize they have to be disruptive, bigger companies, be a little more uh, on the edge. 
I'm jealous of whatever you're wearing down there. I've only got Samsung stuff. So are those pebbles and... Yeah, and, and I, I do like Samsung's um, particularly to the feel of it, but this is a Sony SmartWatch 2, mm-hmm. which um, has some interesting Android-affiliated apps, and this is the Pebble. Okay, cool. So where were we at, do you feel? And, and Robert and both Dean, you've been on, going through a lot of this. Where were we at in terms of... You said the challenges with the auto manufacturers, that's one challenge. In terms of rights issues, in terms of, I remember discussions when I was at EMI where we were literally arguing that if you were on a mobile phone listening to a music service and it handed off to Wi-Fi as you walked into Starbucks, the rate might change because now it's a, it's, now it's a web listening as opposed to a mobile listening. And so literally as you go through the door, a sign should flash somewhere saying you're about to enter a different rate zone. I mean... Is it normalized? Is it easier now to do the kind of deals we need to do so that people can just enjoy entertainment, whether it's music, whether it's videos? I'm throwing it out to you first because you've got a probably a fairly long view on this, and, mm-hmm. and then over to you. Yeah, you mean from the from the label perspective, or, or sorry, just in general? No, no, my point of you in terms yeah. of just you've you've watched this a lot. So I mean, in terms yeah. of getting deals done, if you're a manufacturer, if you've got a service, if you've got whatever. Are, are, are we normalized now, or are we still in the we have to explain this from square one? I think we're more normalized. I think you need to work the mic. Yeah, the challenge. Sorry. I think the challenge. The challenge is just uh, uh, staying relevant. Now you get in the problem is you get in this game of the app of the month, and then um, the new thing comes out with some feature, and people are jumping over to try that. And so I think that's is how do you make it more part of somebody's everyday life? I mean, that's always the challenge with these things, and and uh, and something that they're going to continue to use. So I think that's the bigger issue today is that. In the old days, it was really easy to access stuff. Now, now it is with an app, but it does take work. I get a new phone, do I have to remember to do that? And now my password's off on there. And then somebody told me about this really cool new music service that just launched, and they do all these four other things. And so it, it's, you're not cool anymore because you're using what was you know, the six-month-ago service. So I think the challenge is how do you get, frankly, how do you get more deeply ingrained and differentiated from the rest because it's all the same content presented in kind of similar ways. So... Uh, um, you know, that, that's what somebody's got to solve to, to, to have long-lasting, I think, success here. Yeah, I think that that's the key theme is long-lasting value-add to the end user because ultimately I think you have to be really wise to look at some technology that can be commodified. So what are you ultimately left with? Is it a user base that is ready to take flight because of distraction and the next shiny thing? And then rightly so, if they take flight and you haven't been able to retain that enjoyment inside an experience, a service, and value. Um, so number one is be always cognizant of moving trends of technology, right? So we, we sit inside the zone of music, search, discovery, and onward consumption, Right? And, and it's wonderful when you do sit with a company that has its own technology creation. So the world's fastest music recognition, the world's only ability to take an earworm in your head and find out what it means. Right? Like you can't go to a, go- a screen that says Google and say, I, 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 there's this thing and I want to either hear it or see it or find the lyrics or share it with somebody. And it goes like... Can anything in the world tell you what that is? 
So that's an example of really unique technology that actually to be able to do sing hum recognition as a gateway of search to get you to a destination, delight you for that very magical moment, but then show you all the lyrics, let you play it, let you buy it, let you stream it from your choice provider potentially. Oh, that's extraordinary. So this theme is something we obviously at SoundHound think deeply about because ultimately end users, rightly so, can be fickle and want to continue to push boundaries and go and explore more rich new stuff. So we look and say, say, how do we facilitate that journey? Keep them in, keep them loved, because one day on glass, if I just say, what's that song? Okay, maybe Google, you own that entry point of search, but has a brand and a fidelity behind an experience kept someone inside a sound hound or another services zone, and that's really important to, to wrestle with. I mean, I, I mm-hmm. would sum it up with friction. Mm-hmm. There's just mm-hmm. too much friction out there for most of the stuff, and especially in the worlds I was living in automotive experience. And other than a really young techie who has some vested interest in going through all the pain mm-hmm. points, and it's uh, you know things that are friction free will win. Otherwise, it'll be the app of the month, and you kind of got. Yeah. Yeah. One or the other, and if you can move yeah. your app of the month down to the completely friction-free thing, like AM and FM is today, then you got a pretty good shot. But if not, you're you're going to be knocked off by something else that's the cooler thing at the moment. Yeah, I, I was just going to say the same thing. Is that I think where we are today, and in, in if we talk specifically about the music services and differentiation, is how do we find the sim- the the simple, uh, easy to use? Because the mass consumer who frankly is not quite there yet which is these big numbers of people that we've all talked about for a long time kind of moving into this space it's just still too hard for them and I think that's the challenge as it relates to rights holders as it relates to the technology and um, you know in the car which is a huge place uh, that I know Robert's been talking about where people consume their content it's just not easy enough there for you know to use my wife as an example she just it's it's too too many steps it's too hard Taking friction out of it for a moment, do we care more about music than most of the people we're trying to create stuff for? I mean, well, the, one, the interesting thing is Pandora has grabbed, and rightly so, a huge audience. And for most people, it doesn't need to go beyond that. It's like, give me some music, I'm having a party, I want something that's 80s, throw some Pat Benatar in, okay, I'm done. And we sit agonizing about discovery and drill down and and whatever are we like just totally. are we programming for our for, for a small group of friends where else can we get every very specialized coffee and and chocolate in the world like in right. some ways we are that that microcosm of maybe an uber aficionado and the complexities of stressing about that so i think it's a great point ted i, I always bring it down to meeting girls i was on a plane years ago <laughs> And I was trying to pick up a stewardess. At the time, you could call them a stewardess. Now they're a flight attendant, but it's okay. And I, she says, what do you do? And I said, I work at Warner Brothers. And she said, what do you do there? And I said, oh, I work with bands. She goes, like who? I went, James Taylor. And she goes, who's he? And I start humming Fire and Rain. And she goes, oh, yeah, I like that song. Who else do you work with? Um, America. Who, who's that? I start humming Horse with No Name. She goes, oh, that's who does that song, huh? I realized she really didn't, didn't, she liked the song. She didn't really care about the artists and music was something that played in the background and we only went out once. But uh, I sometimes wonder whether we agonize too much about feature set and service that, I mean, Soundhound is amazing. I'm really, I forgot, my favorite app is Soundhound other than I really like Pied Piper. I just like 
I want you to know. Um, but I think Pied Piper is going to save the world and it's going to make the world a better place as every other app on Silicon Valley is going to make the world a better place. But um, we agonize over the feature set. Soundhound for me is really cool. And I'm, this is not sucking up. It's no. like it finds the song. It gives me some lyrics. It tells me I can see a video. It tells me I can play the song somewhere else. All that stuff. Those are all little journeys I want to go on, but it doesn't force me on any of those journeys. It's whatever I want is sort of there, but I can pick from mm. the buffet. That's a good thing. So my long-winded question is, are we over-programming to an audience that isn't as passionate as we are? Jake, tell us about the international. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, the, this, this is a very much of an emerging market perspective. I uh, actually make fun of Uber, I have to admit this. Mm-hmm. On almost, uh, all, almost all my discussions, we make fun of Uber because we use it here. Uh, and that solves a very, I guess, San Francisco and L.A. problem mm-hmm. of not having a town car immediately. But most people around the world don't have even a car, let alone need an immediate town car. Right. So, so in my in my little world, uh, you know, talking so we call about, it a first world problem. Is this right? It's like a California coastal problem, and maybe New York problem. But when you're really looking at where the billions of people are, their problem isn't you know my car headset. Uh, you know, a lot of wealthy people have that problem, but most people don't in the world. What you're thinking about, at least our customers, is you win every day. So are they going to pay 20 cents for your product today? Are you worth 20 cents? Whether it's discovering music or streaming or a la carte, you have to think about how am I going to win 20 cents today? And then tomorrow, how am I going to win today? And that's what we really see is it's it's very transactional as far as they're, they're concerned. You have to show value right then. It's not we all think lifetime value because venture capitalists want to see it. But they're thinking, am I worth it today? And so you have to win every day. It's not like a set it and forget it in the West, where if you subscribe to services, you forget about it, and company just laughs and goes, ha, 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 I charge you again every month. I've worked for companies like that. Um, <laughs> or you trick somebody into subscription, and then hopefully they forget about it. It doesn't work that way. It's all you win every day. And if you're not showing value every day, you get turned off to go to the next app. Dean, thoughts? Good. I was just about. I said. I think it's a yes and. This is a horrible answer, but it's a yes and no. Um, I think we do over uh, overanalyze it sometimes because, as I mentioned earlier, my wife falls into that camp where she loves music, but she doesn't necessarily know the artist. She doesn't know the name. But when we go to a party and she's like, "What should I play?" She needs that help to find that right music for her. And that's where those things, which is discovery and um, genre and, and those sorts of things help her in that capacity. And so I think there's a little bit of both. Um, uh, but I don't think we're quite there yet to, to, to pull her into this, you know, to win every day for her. Okay. So the theme of this panel is global and mobile. So what are some of the issues that you're facing in the initiatives that you're currently dealing with? I mean, Omniphone has been, what, about 10 years now? Yep. About 10 years of trying to work out licenses with rights holders in multiple territories. Should I be able to listen to my Spotify subscription wherever I go? Or is that, is that something that's just not possible purely because of rights, not because of technology? It, are there, do borders make sense anymore? Um, 
No, they don't. I mean, we, we've, we ran across probably the most relevant challenge to this is, is one of our partners did a deal with BMW in Europe, and um, it was fully integrated into the, into the automobile. And so in Western Europe, when you're traveling across these countries in reasonably short periods of time, how do you solve that? And it was a major challenge from a rights holder's perspective, not necessarily on the label side, but the publishers, because, you know, they have very firm borders and it was a it was a big discussion uh, it took a while and it's still not solved in some of those areas so in reality i could drive across the border in europe and my service will just not work and that's a problem to the consumer and we need to figure that out um and it the way we solve it today is time and en- energy which is too bad because we should be able to figure that out uh, a lot easier and it'll make life easier for a lot of other people thoughts that was a big value add of the AHA service that we created for all the automakers was we geofenced. So you could have whatever music service is appropriate for that region automatically shut off and the new one come on as you cross borders. And unfortunately, that was, and then they can put one, pet, one set of software in their head units worldwide and they can worry about all that right stuff just happening in the background. So unfortunately, people are designing around it and just kind of have putting up with it at this point in time. Uh, for us, at least our most popular services are very kind of state-specific, so Indian music, Hindi music in India, or music in Arabic, I guess, is one example, but Nigeria. So they're, at least the guys who are winning that we haven't heard about around here, they're very language-specific, region-specific, and they're not trying to, frankly, solve for this, because getting rights from, uh, I guess, us and our colleagues in L.A. just seems impossible for most people around the world. Right. Time for a question from the audience. Who wants to throw something out here that we haven't touched on yet? Yes, sir. Um, I guess this is mostly for <clears throat> Robert. And who are you, sir? And where oh, are you from? My name is Whitney Broussard. I'm an attorney here in uh, okay. the Bay Area. Okay. Um, Robert, I'm just kind of curious about uh, about the, the you know car concept and you know different things that could be in the car. It seems to me, I mean, I mean, you seem to think it might work itself out in a few years, and I'm kind of wondering maybe it won't ever work out in the sense that that. Uh, you know, you look at the runway time for to bring out a new model and how far in advance these decisions have to get made before something goes into production, but the technology is changing so quickly. Like, if you're going to put a hard drive in your car, you've got to plan for that three years ago, and the hard drives three years ago were smaller and much more expensive than they are today, and if you have a car for 10 years, anything that's you know, relies on some kind of you know, magical, state-of-the-art kind of stuff is going to seem you know, very old hat by that time. I mean... Is there really anything that's going to work in cars other than maybe just an interface that plugs into a screen that, you know, the, the, the computing powers on your phone or something? I think, I think you kind of hit it at the end. I mean, I think that's – cars are all getting connected now. They're all doing it because they have to do auto airbag deployment. But the problem is that they have data plans that you can pay for within the purchase price of your car because it's very low data for safety and security. But if uh, at some point in the future – it's a business model issue and a little bit of a technology issue between different technologies here in the U.S., but from a carrier perspective. But if, you could, if I could add my car as a device on my data plan using the modem that's already in the car when I bought the car, now I don't have to worry about Bluetooth, which will never work perfectly. And then all of a sudden the car can become an interface and you can use the cloud like you know, the, everybody else does to actually control all of the settings. And, and you're right, you focus the car on selecting content, pausing content, switching between different pieces of content and have that UI be universal across everything, then move everything else to the cloud. And I think that's 
but that's probably eight, ten years out. Apple and Google are trying little steps in that direction where they're going to take over a UI interface in the car with what they're launching later this year, which will then hook up to their back ends, but you still got to have a phone connected. So I, I think... Are those mutually exclusive, though, the Apple and Google, or are they cooperating? So is it, is it, are you choosing your major at that point? They're independent, but the car makers will have to do both. I mean, they may launch with one or the other from a, just a development perspective, but uh, in the future, and they, they admit this. I mean, the guys at Google and Apple realize they can't own a car maker. So in a few years, you will, if you connect an Android or you connect an iPhone, you will have a, a unique experience to those. The car makers are in parallel trying to do their own unique experience it's going to be a mess for a while, but the, the vision, I think, you're, is you're right. It's a UI. Move all the stuff that changes to the cloud. Make the car a UI layer and have it connected on your family data plan so I'm not paying 25 bucks a month separate for the car. But that's going to be a painful route, and it's going to probably be six to ten years before we're there. Could you do it on your phone, though? You can't your phone. I think what's, what would force it off of the phone to the path I talked about is the fact that you, you know, tickets are expensive, and if you're starting to, you know, and that's becoming a bigger and bigger issue now with uh, driver distraction. Uh, not that these interfaces and the head units are necessarily any safer, but, but there is a perception that if I'm not holding the phone, it's safer. And so I think that will help force the path that I talked about. In 20 years, we should remember this moment of, of just contemplating the car experience because in 20 years, in some pockets of the world, there will have been a Galapagos Island Release of the driver driverless car, right? So that should inherently be a very different experience, which either leapfrogged or can disregard the challenges of of what we just discussed. Then you move to what's so when rear seat entertainment today, they've realized forget those expensive systems that nobody wants yeah. those, and just bring it. You can buy two iPads for cheaper, and then right. get them get a MiFi card. And so if that happened in the rear sure. seat, and so she's right, what she's talking about will happen in the front seat, but driverless cars a little ways away, so. Yeah, well, hopefully we'll get to the point I talked about before there. Similar experience. When we, we played with DVD audio when I was at EMI, we had two years of meetings with the car manufacturers. They finally said yes. Three years later, when they implemented, nobody was making DVD audio discs anymore. But there are cars out there that say DVD audio capable. So the thousand titles that we did do play. Another question from the audience. Yes, sir. Let's get you a mic. Hang on one second. Brian, can you? There we go. Right there. This is for Kathleen, but anyone else who wants to uh, join in, since you have the uh, wearables and the music, what have you seen that's uh, particularly interesting in the wearable apps for music space? Uh, So Pandora has released a Pebble-connected experience. Pretty basic, right? Move forward, move back. Um, We're happy that a, a hack went up that allows you to do a SoundHound launch. So from this device, it will just put color around it, right? So uh, this weekend, I'm in my happy workout class. Always has great, great audio experience, right? That's what gets you through the class. So this weekend, I bundled in my phone and left it in the corner. Right. But in the middle of the session, I'm like, oh, that's a killer song. T- turn it on. Go home. There's a button. It's waking up my phone. I'm getting my sound hound moment. Was that, was that four steps? Sorry. Total, and friction was <laughs> right. all for it, right? If I was just like, mm, start, start and capture, like telepathically, it'll all happen one day when the chip is here and it'll just know what I want to do. So just to answer your question, I, I think we see very early stage examples which remove the friction by making it a little, a little more seamless. Um, so there's going to be 
host of exciting things, but specifically to music or an audio experience, it's being able to capture control um, at the moment of, of inspiration. Yeah, Google Glass allows you to recognize yeah, a song and then draw, right. start a playlist out of it. We did do um, a, a demonstration on Glass of something that hasn't been seen before, and it dovetails into something Robert mentioned about AM, FM radio, and it touches on a more global theme that across the world, radio is still the most consumed thing of distribution. Even today in the U.S., more people per week consume and engage with audio, old-school terrestrial radio than they do Facebook. Um, So on Glass, what we did was showcase the fact on broadcast recognition so it could be NPR and even in the Bay Area you can sound how NPR it's very stealth and it's a little hacky but we will tell you that's NPR tap here to get to the website to donate and literally last week cool. you know they're telling you call 1-800 blah 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 and I'm driving I feel guilty I haven't ever I gotta pay like I can I listen to NPR and it's the one thing that actually brings a tear to my eye I don't cry when I read Twitter or, like it's quality <laughs> stuff right and they are member sponsored so I am driving from my commute and I'm listening and they're on the pledgeathon so I parked I sound hounded I went to the page I found the phone number and I also like got to see the gifts I'm like okay that's what they're talking about that's what the emergency pack looks like but the point was it removed all the friction and allowed me to action something that I otherwise would have blown off like every other year because I couldn't remember the phone number because I was driving I think another first world moment there's a place in Santa Monica called Yoga Hop I don't doubt if anybody's ever heard of it they have a sign up in the yoga studio that says no shazamming of the music. The guy is very precious about what he plays and he doesn't want you to know what it is. So there are people who stand outside after a class waiting for the next class and they're shazamming oh, outside the window or yeah. sound hounding. Sure, sure. No, and Whatever. DJs, DJs really get pissed off because if you're able, if sound hound or shazam are able to identify it, yeah, but on the other hand, you've got, okay, I won't digress too much, but there's a great guy named Richie Houghton who one of the first things he ever did with Twitter was he tweets out his set in real time. No secrets. Here's every song I'm playing. If you want to do it, if you want to recreate it, go for it. Another question from the audience. Have we answered everything? All the way in the back. All the way in the back. So if what users I'm Kate I'm from Grace Note if what users care about isn't licensing and borders but what they really want is a frictionless UI what's it going to take for us to get there why is it so terrible everywhere right now well from a guy who sat on both sides of the table I was always fighting for what's how much money is being made and what's a fair division of the money and who cares you know it's being, people say how are you currently listening to music it's always the same answer ideally with two ears i mean it's not you know so if music is going in my ears i don't care what the mechanism is that got it there what am i willing to pay for it and how should that be divided up among the rights holders the service provider the tech back end all those different things And that's what everybody agonizes over. I mean, we have the case that's in front of the Supreme Court right now with the stupid little antennas. Mm. Because all it is is a way to get around the argument of, can I provide an antenna service or, you know, the arrow case. It's idiotic. I think we're getting closer. I I joke that uh, as far as the labels and the publishers and everybody's concerned, 
A, they are smarter, they are better, and in some cases with desperation comes great vision. So uh, they get a little, as it gets a little uh, gnarlier, they get a little, oh yeah, that's cool. I mean, if you think of all the things, they say, we'll never do MP3. We'll never let people have timed out download. You do all those things now. So I think it's gotten better. And I mean, you were early days of dealing with Rhapsody on rights issues. Mm-hmm. I think it's better than it was. Yeah, yeah, it's better. They're not, you're right. They're not worried about, okay, how are you going to replace my CD revenue that you're cannibalizing with this? What's the exact, CD? Yeah, right. yeah, exactly. Um, but, I, but I think your point, the, the challenge still is, though, how do you create value off of all the same content everybody else is using? Typically, it's the UI, so everybody builds a custom really cool UI, and they don't want to be a dumb pipe. They don't want to mm-hmm. be a, a dumb automaker. They don't want to be a dumb whatever. And so the UI is how they differentiate, so everybody's battling on UIs. And, and it's a challenge. So what is the value of music now? Is it, about the, is it the value in the UI? or is it, Does music have any intrinsic value at this point, or is it just how it's presented? Dean, go ahead. <laughs> Any journalist, this is Dean from Omnifone. Go ahead. I tried to avoid that. I really wanted to. Oh, there's a question. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we'll get to you right after Dean answers this timely question. What is the value of music to Omnifone? Go ahead, Dean. Well, I mean, how long is a piece of string? I think think that there is always... Music has enormous amount of value, right? I think... But it's, it's almost priceless to a degree, right? I don't know what that is because music to me is different than music to you. What song is valuable to me is different than the songs that are valuable to you. And so I think to a certain extent, it's one of the challenges we have, right? I mean, you know, um, I keep using my wife as an example. She's going to kill me for this. Um, but, you know, she values music differently. She doesn't pay for music. She listens to it in the car generally. I listen to a lot of music. And I'm willing to pay a lot from right. th- those access. So I think it's different for everybody. Um, but is, is there value to music? Absolutely. And I think, it's, I think we have to find the right way to tap into that. And it might be one of those things that it's, it's different for every person. And so if I can get, lack of a better, just as an example, if I can get 50 cents a month from, from somebody like my wife, right, that's better than zero. But if I'm willing to pay $10 a month, well, that's great. And right. how do we find those things? And I think that's the challenge with rights holders because I think there's, it's a different answer for everybody. So we had a question there and then you. So who's got the... Right. I, I waved my oh, you waved your question? Okay, so we're going to the guy in the hat here in the second row, this scary-looking guy. <laughs> oh, by the way, usually a parting shot is some, a remark we make when we leave. However, there is a parting shot of Patron for anybody on the way out. I can't take the bottle back on the plane, so... So you kind of touched on uh, the question I have. I'm Tom Murphy. I'm currently with the SF chapter of the Recording Academy. In the past, I've been at companies like Grace Note and Liquid Audio and Digit Design. So um, I, I might need another shot. Okay. Um, but the, the question Jer- about let's drink to Jerry Kirby. Yeah, where do the artists play in this? That one of the friction points in many of these things is money is actually paying for something, and as more and more services come out there's the potential that people are buying less and less music. The artists are making less and less money. And so how can we use technology to uh, connect the artist with... uh, Soundbound is a great start. Um, You need to know what song this is and who's singing it. But what else can we do to actually 
get out of the way and let the people who are loving music yeah. do more things with the people creating it. And in that example, just to put real color around it, um, the insights that that we sit on or would be very beneficial to your tour schedule if you're an artist and you think everyone in Seattle loves your music, but actually we show that everybody in Detroit is really digging your music. Maybe that's where you should spend your time and in turn have those moments with, with your fans. The thing I would probably say is, at least with us, I talk to a lot of different music services around the world. Uh, the biggest complaint that they have about kind of artists and <laughs> I, not just artists, but the other people that in the value chain is lack of flexibility just around saying my work is always worth at least $3. So as soon as you say kind of on a fixed nominal basis and I don't know, dollars or whatever, you really limit yourself. So I think if you wanted to go attack the global market, and this is very global specific, not U.S. U.S. charge you three bucks. But globally, you need to be sure about saying, I want a fair percentage of it, and I'm open to the fact that Indians will never pay more than 50 rupees for anything because they don't ever load more than their phones. So if you want 100 rupees, you will receive zero. Mm -hmm. Versus if you're open to receiving 10 cents a day, you can make a lot of money. So our music customers are profitable around the world, and they're paying their artists. They're only paying their artists that are flexible with their licensing terms to saying, I want a fair percentage and letting people do local business. So yeah, but that's the, the biggest advice I could give. The, the counter to it, unfortunately, is we were in such a, for maybe all the right reasons, but we were in this, we've got to make it feel almost close to free. So instead of, I mean, I'm paying two, again, first world problem, but I'm paying 250 a month to Time Warner for cable. I don't use 90% of it, but I'm paying it because I want the channels. I want, for some reason, music isn't worth 20 bucks to people even though they probably listen to more music a month than they do watch television so we pushed the price down to ten dollars five dollars three dollars whatever and what trickles down to the artist is such a fraction that they're not as supportive of this even though it's giving them massive exposure i mean we had an artist on a panel about services last year at a conference called rain at nab we had an, it was services and it was rights holders but the the tiebreaker was an artist and i said would you rather get paid or played he goes played he says we've made a half a million dollars in touring this year because we're top five on the new classical chart on pandora we never had that kind of exposure on regular radio he says so yeah does the payments from pandora mean that much mm -hmm. Probably not, but the exposure and having a long view history, and again, being the senior guy here, we used to pay people, I won't mention names, to get music played on radio. Now radio essentially is paying artists and paying labels. It's not really a bad thing, but the artists don't care because the fraction, it still doesn't seem like they're getting paid. Is yeah, what I, I mean, in the U.S., obviously, there's touring revenue and the economics of so the deals have turned completely around, as you mentioned, so... No disagreement between the U.S., but overseas, um, y'all are very fortunate. You're drafting behind these people called gaming people. Yeah. The gaming people are very smart, and their offices are, well, some of them are very smart. And their offices are very nice, and money falls from the sky on these people because they have something called in-app purchases. So they have trained an entire generation of, you know, frankly, kids in emerging markets mm -hmm. that, do you know what? You want a better sword? You pay for that. You want another level? You pay for that. You want a power-up? You pay for that. Oh, you want more coins? You pay for that. So they've trained them like 
you know, like little animals you train at the zoo to say, you keep clicking to get started. So they've retrained the people that, you know, when I went to college, we all stole on Napster. So we were trained that music should be free. You should steal it. Versus the new generation that's coming up in emerging markets, they've been trained by the game people, you know, conditioning of you want something, you pay for it. So there's a baseline free-to-play service. So you have your music service with the free-to-play with the step-up functionality. There's a ton of money to be made. So you're not competing against the music business that we all remember from five or ten years ago. You're competing for the guy's 50 cents today against a video game. That's your competition. It's not stealing from ten years ago. So your product needs to be better than the sword. Wow. That's a good one. Stop it. That was a good one. Somebody had a I saw a hand go up in the middle of this. Has the hand gone away again? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's the whole thing is I, how do you show the value? Oh, you have a question? Sure. Go ahead. There's a mic coming towards you. There we go. And you are and you are with. I'm Ron Koneski. I'm with Gibson. The good cool. people. Um, I'd love to hear you guys talk about... How's Henry? Oh, never mind. Go ahead. <laughs> Uh, talk about from that one. music creation, especially as it crosses international borders. Yes. Um, does global mobile music, do these new technologies as they evolve give people more opportunity and interest in creating um, their own music, whatever that comes to mean? Well, it's interesting. There are a couple guys in the back of the room over there, a very tall guy behind the woman standing there in the black dress. His name is Peter Solinsky and... Uh, Lior standing. There's a lot of music collaboration uh, paradigms that are coming out that allow for that cross-border collaboration. And I don't think at the point of creation, I don't think people are fighting over the rights right now. It's when it, again, when it attains value, then you'll see people come out of the woodwork of, was my bass line worth more than your lead guitar part? Was my track? So in terms of the creation, I don't think that's an issue because it's a bunch of people getting together. I'm wondering if there are new opportunities for people to create music. Peter, you want to take that? Yes. Go ahead. Sure. Give him away. Take the mic. So, uh, Peter's an old friend of mine. He's not a client yet. He may be in about 20 minutes, so say nice things to him. Ted, Ted you're doing very well. Peter Selinski, <laughs> co-founder of Musio. So um, we're, in fact, building a platform to enable musicians to create uh, music collaborate across borders uh, at museum. Would love to continue the conversation with anybody who's interested uh, with Leo and uh, and myself afterwards. That's brilliant. Okay. I was thinking like that was going to be the breakthrough next super hits. I just feel like we, we had an era of breakthrough on YouTube, self exposure, mm-hmm. but when we have all of these dots connected, it is going to allow another level of creativity. So I think the artist of today the game has just been upped. How more creative can you be and flexible in thinking about your business model? Right. I mean, I will put out a plug. There's a press release that went out today. Lyric Find um, announced a global uh, deal with Universal Music to provide their lyrics everywhere in the world without any border issues. I'm summarizing, so it may not be exactly accurate, but uh, again, 12 years ago, a guy named Daryl Ballantyne was my intern at EMI. He said he was going to go off and start a lyric service. And 12 years later, he just announced his global deal this morning. So hats off to Daryl. And I'm on their board, so I will tell you. But I'm very happy that this came out this morning. Another question to end this. No, I'm seriously, Daryl's done. This is a guy who literally turned to me and said, 
I'm finishing business school. I'm going to go off and start the world's first legal lyric service. And I went, yeah, you go do that. And he said, would you be on the board? And I said, yeah, kid, sure, call me. And about six months later, I got the board papers in the mail, and I've been on the board ever since, and it's been a joy to watch him and Mo and Andrew Stess and everybody build the company up without taking a dollar of money from anybody. That's awesome. I can tell you from our users in certain geos where Lyric Fine and other lyrics were not available, Mm -hmm. this hot off the press has just delighted pockets of users. Yeah. So, uh, anybody got a barn burner question? Right, gentleman right there with the plaid shirt. Stand up. He's coming with the mic to you. He's right over there. Brian, meet the plaid shirt. Awesome. Uh, my question goes back to music accessibility. So, when you guys were talking about the mobile apps like the Spotify's and the SoundClouds and things like that, you know, it's, it's really changing the way that we interact with music and how we listen to music. How do you guys feel about uh, turning a lot of people into... ADD music listeners. You know, a lot of people don't actually listen to whole songs anymore. Um, how do you guys feel about that? I'll do an an- anecdotally. The, the, where I show people the value of music is when they come over for a party and either Spotify or Rhapsody or RDO, any of the, I've got all the services, so they're all running. And I hand them either a, a, a Sonos controller or I tell them to download the Sonos app. Watching people step on each other in terms of picking songs and in the middle of the song, all of a sudden another song will play because whoever the next person was, they wanted you to hear what they found. It's totally ADD. No one wants to sit there and listen to the very end of the song to just put. So we start setting up rules of you've got to let it play out. You can add it to the queue. You can put it next in the queue, but you can't cut Dean off when his song is playing. So, but the gee whiz of I can hear anything I want whenever I want, but I only have to hear it for 10 seconds if that's all I want, is delighting and maddening, especially when that 10 seconds starts playing and you happen to love that song and now somebody clicks. Someone else in the room all of a sudden is taking control. You want a scary, scary thought, though, is because um, we're just talking about creativity, is now think about big data. Mm-hmm. And these services are separately tracking this now. This is people are working on stuff. So imagine in the future, like, you know, talking about researching music to death, people will know that that guitar solo, 94% of people switch or turn the volume down or do this. And so nobody's had that data before. You know, Nielsen doesn't, Arbitron doesn't have that. So now we will know in the future exactly what people do. And that's going to get back and influence the creative process. So just yeah. kind of something yeah. to think and about. And I'd say contextual is, is critical in analyzing that question. Um, we've, we've just done a redesign that bubbles up albums in a way that if you want to snack and listen to the entire album, it's like an IMD experience. So I'm, I'm personally even curious whether or not our own data will show us that there's a, a subsection of user that actually wants to rediscover an album experience. Like maybe the album concept isn't dead. Okay. Any other points we haven't touched on? Something you came here to hear about that we haven't talked about? Down there, yes. One second, a mic is coming to you. Actually, a Brian is coming to you with a mic. So I came a little late. I don't know if I missed anything about this. We'll start over. (laughs) Shots? Yeah. Did you get your shot of Patron? I didn't. Come here. Okay. Get over here. (laughs) This goes back to, so I'm on this flight. My mom's going to be so proud. I'm ready. Here you go. Okay. Are you going to have one? I'm having one. I'm here. Anybody else who didn't get a shot? You're in? Yeah. 
Okay. You got a shot? Grab a glass. I know something. Great. And he does the drawing. You'll see the drawings are going to get a little bit uh, more abstract toward the, as the day goes on. I was going to take a selfie, too. Okay. Cheers. Cheers. To all of you. Oh, yeah. Hey. <laughs> yes. Okay. Now, question. By the way, this is the best panel ever. <laughs> Okay, so my name's Anissa. I represent So Far Sounds. Um, I imagine not many of you know who we are. We basically are kind of a global movement. We put on concerts in living rooms and intimate spaces around the world. And we have a really strong following. And I think right now we're in over 80 cities around the world, maybe like 30, 40 countries. And we're growing just so rapidly. And everything... For the most part, our experience is offline, but we do professionally film and record our shows, and we have some of the audio on SoundCloud, but we're now exploring what is it going to look like to be online at a bigger capacity, like a mobile app, because our shows are actually free. So we provide this basically as a service to the community and to the musicians. It really was just for fun at first, and then five years later, we're... We have like a bajillion followers, and now we don't know how to monetize it. Sort of. So um, we have a bajillion users, and we don't know how to monetize them. <laughs> what a problem I mean, to have! I mean, it's actually pretty cool because we're we have a pretty. Strong... Where's Larry Marcus when we need him? Oh, he's in he's the, on other the room. Upstairs panel. He's on the panel, right? <laughs> exactly. Larry will drop down, and for only never mind. So yeah, so we have a really strong offline network because our followers and our community are actually, they're so connected. You go to a show and you automatically are connected with people because nobody's trying to be cooler than you. Nobody's trying to like one-up you. You come to discover music. So, well, I mean, I'm trying to kind of like set the stage for you so you get what the question is. But like, how do you see us monetizing that or expanding into mobile without compromising the integrity of what we've created because we didn't start off as we're going to make money with this. But well, we I, I mean, the first thing I would do created. is possibly sit down with Evan Lowenstein and figure out how you could combine what you're doing with what Evan's doing. And so you're doing the combination of a living room concert and you're doing one of his online concerts. And I'm always into partnering rather than trying to rebuild something that's right. really good because he's built an amazing platform. So why not sit down with Evan and go, we need to extend the reach of this audience. We've got a really cool thing going. We'd like to keep a branding. So it's, it's called So Far. So yeah. it's So Far powered by Stage It in terms of the online experience. I mean, that's, that would, I'm always trying to get people together to work instead of rebuilding something that already exists. Unless you've looked at Stage It and you go, I can do a much better job. But I know he's been at it for five years so I, or six years or eight years, whatever yeah. it is. So I, partnerships are good and collaborations are good. So cool. that's what yeah. I'd recommend. Anybody else have any? We're going to, I guess, thank you. Anybody got a final barn burner? Otherwise, uh, any final thoughts? Any, is it, what would you like to see in the next six months? What, what do you, what's a gating factor for Soundhound right now without outing a particular rights holder or a particular pain point. You can you can mention universal. No, I'm kidding. Um, what's a particular pain point that you'd like to see go away? It's removing the friction, so enabling less taps to get you onward. Less is more. Yes. 
Robert? Okay, I agree with that. Ditto. I'd say flexible deal terms so that way the services can price appropriately in local market markets. Good point. That was my answer. Oh. Uh, yeah, cre- creativity uh, around business models and, uh, and access to the consumers. Uh, mine is just let people experiment, come up with the basic deal terms, let them push the borders a little bit, push the, push the boundaries, push out a bit, and then you can discuss. If it really goes outside the room, then you can have another discussion, but don't get too carried away with it. They're pushing at the walls a bit. Thanks, everybody, for coming. Enjoy the day. This is a great crowd here today. A lot of smart people. Have a good one.